0: Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's episode, our September edition of the podcast, we have picked four films coming to your local picture house. Some may in fact already be playing at your local picture house. Four favourites from us and we'd love to discuss with you. I am here to introduce our guest film critics every edition of the podcast. We invite two new critics on to review our movies. Uh, this month, we are so lucky to have the editor of Little White Lies, David Jenkins, a wonderful film writer and an editor of this beautiful magazine. It's uh, so well designed, so well written, uh, can highly recommend checking that out. Little White Lies are actually releasing their 100th edition of the magazine this month. Uh, so do stay to the end and hear more about <laughs> that from David but we'll have a link To the magazine in the show notes, so you can find more uh, about that Uh, when it goes on sale. We are also joined by David's esteemed colleague and someone I'm a huge fan of, uh, Layla Latif, the wonderful host of the Truth and Movies podcast, Little White Lies' in house podcast uh, over there, a fantastic film writer in her own right, too. Uh, I've been listening to Layla for a few months now, and and yeah, I love what they're doing over on Truth and Movies. So there's a link to that in the show notes also. So we've got Layla. We've got David, and we've got four films, four films which are currently either on or about to be on at your local Picturehouse cinemas. Of course, there are more films than four, um, you know, in cinemas throughout the month of September, but we we just really wanted to focus on on a handful so we can make this a nice tight podcast. That's what we do. But for all listings, all things Picturehouse, you can check out picturehouses.com and see what's going on. We'll have special seasons, we'll have one-off events, we'll have all sorts of bits and bobs. As we're talking about sort of wider Picture House business, I will say on the 15th of September, there is a charity fundraiser at the Ritzy in Brixton for uh, the wonderful Charity Refuge. Uh, it's a charity gala, it's lots of live performances. We've got comedy, we've got music, we've got poetry, everything in between. But the, uh, and a lot of the acts performing are members of staff at Picture House, uh, which is amazing. It's totally uh, driven uh, by the team over at the Ritzy. But they have also got Kate Nash. Yes. Kate Nash, headlining. Uh, so that is on the 15th. It'll be in the Ritzy Cinema's beautiful screen one, that really incredible um, early 1900s uh, design uh, There is uh, it's, it's an over 100-year-old auditorium. Really beautiful venue uh, there. So um, that's the Ritzy Gala. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. But... Without further ado, let's start talking movies. Let's go to our first film this month, which is Iris Axe's film, Passages. It's in cinemas right now. Stars Ben Whishaw, Franz Rugelski, and uh, Adele Exarchopoulos. And it's, it's a. I mean, I've seen this film a couple of times. I had such a good time watching this movie. Big fan of Iris Axe. I think this is one of his best. Let's hear what David and Leila made of the movie.
1: You know what I was doing last night?
2: But whatever it was, you sound very excited
3: If my party and my husband doesn't want to dance with me
2: I'll dance with you Hey Layla, we've just been to the hey. movies <laughs> Hey, it's nice to meet you How are you doing? <laughs> well,
4: yeah Doing well. Um, yeah, we should, we should probably have more hobbies that don't involve going to yeah. the cinema. But, you know, here we but, are. But, you know,
2: we've just seen the movie Passages. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's all good.
4: It, it was quite a strange one in a way because I was kind of led to believe that this was going to be the most kind of s- sexy, explicit, kind of, you know, raw film of the year. And, like, I was quite surprised to find it's like this very moving <laughs> love story in many ways about... a. Terrible guy and gender and queerness and all of these fascinating so, things. So yes,
2: it's the it's a new film by Ira Sachs, and um, he he he's been making films for for a fair while now, maybe about twenty years, and um, he's he's done lots of lots of nice things in the past, like Love Is Strange and uh Keep the Lights On and um, Little Men. If you remember Little Men, the one about the kids, but th- this one is about a kind of I mean, it's kind of a love triangle in a way, but maybe there's a a love triangle where it's a sort of love triangle. No, it's not a love triangle because the three parts don't really intersect. It's sort of like two parts going with one one point, really. It's like a love arrow. Yeah, a
4: a a poisonous love Y. A poisonous
2: love Y, yeah. (laughs) A love V. (laughs) And um, yeah, you've got this uh, uh, film director played by Franz Rogowski, who's uh, a bit of a nightmare all told, um, you know, but a, he's a passionate man and he's in a relationship with, with, with another man played by Ben Whishaw. And it, it's all set in Berlin and they are the, the and, and, um, suddenly out of the blue, Franz decides to have a, have a relationship, like, like move on from his, 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 uh, same sex marriage and, uh, have a relationship with Ad- Adele ex and uh and who's a school teacher and and slightly bemused by the whole situation but kind of is rolling with it because it's quite an e- e- exciting part of her, her sort of humdrum life so yeah I mean did that set up intrigue you?
4: Yeah I found myself really impressed by what France is doing because he is kind of awful and so um in some ways, but you can kind of fully believe why these two people have chosen to be in relationships with him. He's still got that sort of very intriguing quality, but it's, yeah, it's a much more sensitive and, um, you know, interesting look at kind of queer relationships and at kind of, I don't know, the, the sort of narcissists that we find ourselves entangled with than And I think the marketing suggested it's not just kind of see me buy a movie. Oh, yeah,
2: no, I think when I, when I, at the top then, when I sort of said, said that, that Franz's character was, was an awful guy, I think I was, you know, I was being a little bit facetious there. And actually, I think one of the interesting things about the film is that it is very non judgmental on its characters, even if, even if they might Mm. ostensibly and objectively be doing what we think are kind of awful things and, and, and things that are very sort of self serving and, and hurtful in many ways um but but actually like I think that, that, that his character is you know there, there is a there is a tragic element to the character that, that is that is very yeah. appealing and um also his uh, his costumes which which uh, oh yeah you know, the, the, the the costumes go hard on this
4: they do I mean for a little kind of 90 minute uh, I did kind of feel that there was so much to kind of want to revisit because i mean yeah the costumes for one thing, but also like the the there's a few really beautifully delivered monologues one particularly from ben wishell towards the end where you really kind of felt that these were fully three-dimensional people and every kind of choice about them that had been made from what they were wearing to kind of their to their language was so kind of specific
2: absolutely and talking in monologues it wasn't a monologue but it was a kind of a little sort of 2 hander section but like my, my highlight of the film, although, although Fr- Franz Rogowski is an actor, you can't st- even though you kind of can't stop looking at him, the sort of highlight for me is a, a section right at the end of the film where Adele and Ben Whishaw have this kind of heart-to-heart conversation and some, and some sort of revelations come out. And it's really like, you know, powerhouse moving Oscar reel clip scene. But yeah. yeah,
4: I could kind of picture a load of people choosing it for their like drama school auditions. Yeah,
2: I think so. I think I think it's <laughs> it's it's, it, it, but it's beautifully done by both of them. Um, and even though I think Adele is is maybe it, it, you know is maybe less of the you feel that she's less of the focus here, but I think she's like a very vital part of the drama.
1: Let's go somewhere new, see worlds we've never seen before, so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of
3: independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires.
0: Well, there we go. That is Passages by Iris Axe. If you go back on this pod feed, just one episode, you will hear an interview with Iris Axe when he was uh, in town a couple of weeks ago. So we've got Iris Axe on our pod feed, and now we've talked about his film Passages. Wonderful stuff. Our next film is Past Lives, directed by Celine Song. And actually, right after the review by David and Layla, we will have Celine Song on the podcast. Celine Song was in town uh, a couple of months ago now at the Sundance London Film Festival. And our guest host uh, at the time, Christina Newland, spoke to Celine Song while she was there. So we've got Christina Newland talking to Celine Song right after we hear what Layla and David made of the movie.
1: Who do you think they are to each other? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, this
4: is a hard one. I think the white guy and the Asian girl are a couple. And the Asian guy is her brother.
1: Or the Asian girl and the Asian guy are a couple. And the white guy is their American friend. They're not
4: even talking to the white guy.
1: Maybe they're tourists and the white guy is their tour guide. Drinking at 4 a.m.? Yeah, you're right, that makes no sense. Mm, Maybe they're all just colleagues. I have no
4: idea. Oh, so past lives. So we've kind of got another love triangle that isn't really a love triangle. Uh, we've got a woman who's moved from uh, her childhood to Korea. She goes to Toronto where she ever so slightly changes her name and then becomes a writer in New York. And so, yeah, there's just that tiny detail of because she slightly changed her name, she's kind of got this childhood love, but he can't find her on social media the way that we often reconnect with these people because, her, you know, it's ever so slightly different and he comes back into her life. But it's very different from passages because there isn't that poisonous element at all. Nobody's kind of self-serving. It's, it's, it's kind of a film about a lot of incredibly kind and understanding people. And even the sort of ma- her husband who is ostensibly getting in the way of her perhaps reuniting with this past guy. He's just lovely and he wants the best for everyone too.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a very kind of yeah, it's it's got that kind of wist, wistful lilting vibe to it, and very, very kind of soft toned music, and you know, you, you you have all these kind of signifiers that you're in a you're in a sort of quite a kind of cozy place with this movie. But at the same time, that's not to say that it doesn't pull out some emotional big guns at some point. I think one of the films that director Celine Song has sort of talked about as being an influence is. Um, in the Mood for Love, the one car Wai film. And you can kind yes. of, you can kind of see in this, in this, uh, projected relationships that, you know, the two young characters are trying to sort of work out what m- their lives might have been like, had they stayed together or had they been able to keep in touch and, and, and you kind of get that, that part of it as well, but it's also, you know, it's also a film about kind of technology as well in many ways.
4: Yeah. I mean, I was just amazed more than anything that it was a debut. I mean, that was almost the most impressive element to me because it seems so self-assured and even, yeah, bringing in those sort of spiritual elements about talking about past lives, bringing in like the technology and stuff. It's all done so seamlessly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think like Celine's song has come from a background of theatre and, I think you. Could, I think that. I think you could. You could have done a cl- a clever theatrical production of this movie, but the way she's done it is very is quite is quite cinematic. And I think the way she uses these screens as a way to kind of disconnect you, disconnect the characters from from one another. You know that this idea that you know even though we're kind of talking to people that, that who may be like heart, the the other side of the world and having these kind of very. Um, you know heartfelt valuable conversations with them not like they're kind of very emotional nourish- emotionally nourishing uh sometimes it you know you, you that distance can can be too much to bear and uh yeah but it is also it is that kind of butterfly it's, it's a bit butterfly effect film isn't it it's like a reverse butterfly yeah. effect like what what would have happened had i done that or or sliding doors for for those uh those in the know
4: Oh, I was thinking of the Richard Linklater Before trilogy. Yes. Um, and you know we there was a time where we were getting one of those every nine years, and I think now it's been thirteen. So I think this is going to have to fill the void until Richard Linklater gives the <laughs> a fourth of those.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a charming film, and it's good. It's good to you know, uh, uh, you hope that it's going to sort of do do some business because it's quite you know it's got quite a lot of. Uh, advertising around certainly around central London and you know yeah you know, there's there's obviously some sort of big big support behind it um and you know I, I even think that in this kind of you know this 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 climate now where it seems that that you know there are more best picture nominees more best slots open you kind of you you do you do wonder whether this this film it could could actually kind of go the distance in the same way that like Uh, parasite or drive my car did
4: that would be lovely and i think greta lee being recognized for her performance would be a really well-deserved nom but you know fingers crossed it looks like the oscars are just going to be a press release this year so who knows
3: so i'm here with celine sung uh for the picture house podcast um the director of past lives And I guess I wanted to start by asking you a bit about um, the autobiographical nature of the film and the script and um, how close it is to you in a personal way.
1: Um, So, you know, I think this uh, movie really was sparked from the moment where I found myself sitting in a bar in East Village, sitting between my child's sweetheart and my husband, who I live with in New York City. And I was translating between these two guys and feeling like something really special was happening between us that, You know, I've sort of become a bit of a portal or a bridge between these two uh, men, but also these two languages and, you know, culture and all that. And I think that um, that moment moment was really inspiring. Um, So it started, it inspired the story. And then, of course, in the process of turning it into a script, which is you're writing it, Um, There is a process of objectification of the subjective moment into an object, which is a script. And then from the script, there is another further objectification from the script to a film which you're doing with hundreds of people, uh, you know, cast and crew, and you're trying to um, uh, create something together. So I think by the time that I was uh, making the movie, I was really focusing on making the movie. And uh, the
3: way that it is personal was really the inception, more than anything. Tell me a bit about the process of of then realizing that for the screen, and in the process becoming a first-time director, because I'm sure that presents a certain set of new things to think about, and, and I suppose challenges as well.
1: Of course, I feel like every day on set is a challenge. You know, every day on set is like you're just trying to uh, deliver something for the movie that uh, is always going to be, uh, you know, uh, running up against that uh, the, the chaos. And I also made this movie in New York City, so it's a chaos of New York City. <laughs> so I think that what is uh, every day a thing that you're doing is you're pushing the boulder up, you know, and I think that's the really... Uh, both the difficult part but also the most fun thing about it and I think really um, I learned everything about filmmaking I became a filmmaker through it this movie is so special to me because it is uh, the movie that made me a filmmaker
3: yeah can you tell me a little bit about the, the visual style, which feels very considered and conscious, and um, in particular, there's a scene near the end where she's saying goodbye to him, she, she takes it to his Uber, and it's sort of this long pan and this sort of static shot of the two of them, they kind of turn to face each other. And rather than any close-ups, you, you sort of keep it at a distance. And I was curious to know your kind of thinking behind the aesthetic logic of the film.
1: Well, I think that, you know, you're the thing that I was thinking about the most is uh, the movie having its own language. What I wanted as a first-time filmmaker is to develop a language of my own and a language of my own as a filmmaker that, uh, you know, that makes sense for the story and that makes sense for me. And, of course, uh, I can't do that without the amazing talents of, like, for example, my DP Xavier Kirchner, and then, of course, my production designer, Grace Yun. among, like, you know, every single person who touches the movie, they're a part of the uh, visual world. And, of course, it is going to be accompanied by uh, the, the world of sound, too, because it has to all sort of work uh, together to create a uh, language of its own. And I think the movie needs a language of its own. So I think, to me, the, what, what, the thing that I was focusing on the most was story and character and then a the way that the language of the... Uh, visual and the audio and everything is sort of uh, gonna c- come together around uh, the storytelling more than anything. So you know, I think
3: I think you know it was so much more about uh, what makes sense for the story. Tell me a little bit about the casting process, particularly mm. for Greta Lee, um, especially with something I suppose that feels close to you. Uh, Greta Lee, she auditioned for me, and uh,
1: we also uh, met. You know, like, and we had a two-hour conversation where we even read a little bit of the scene, and we really connected um, over those two hours. And it really was about getting to a place where I'm walking away from that conversation feeling like I think I found my Nora, and I think I, you know, and I think it was just such a uh, beautiful meeting because the thing that I'm looking for is like, of course, like Greta is just a great actor. Um, I believe that if you know. You know like you can you can you can tell from the work that she's done before that she's a great actor. So that wasn't the thing that I was wondering about. The thing that I'm wondering about is, uh, is she the right uh, person for the role? And uh, that's, you can only really tell by thinking about the soul of the character and the soul of the actor and see if they're a good match. And I think that really was the thing that I was uh, looking for when I'm looking for her. And that also applies to the other two characters as well. Hesung and, and Arthur, I'm also looking for somebody who is like who is a great actor, but also is the right match for the characters. In their hearts.
3: I saw in another interview that you said something that I really agreed with, uh, yeah. uh, which was about this idea that so many films about women of Nora's age are uh, about this sort of messy woman or like these uncertain women who are struggling with their identity. And that, um, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. something to the effect that she does know what she wants. She is somebody who has an, you know, a pretty strong sense of identity and a pretty strong sense of like, you know, she has a steadiness to her. And I was interested to know why that was sort of important for you.
1: You know, I think that uh, the thing that I can only hope for is for uh, the characters that are in my movie to feel like uh, living, breathing people who sort of like exist and feel uh, authentic to themselves. And I think that uh, what I really wanted more than anything is for this very modern woman to exist. Uh, in my movie who when I think that I don't think that she is uh, uh, somebody who uh, is like really a, a strange or rare actually I think that she is the one of the most common uh, uh, kinds of persons that I meet I run into every day where it's like you know you have an amazing vibrant professional life and of course you have a very deep personal life as well and I think that that to me is felt uh, uh, worthy of exploring but of course like what's just getting to follow a modern woman like that that felt like a very
3: important part of uh, the story yeah, I mean, a friend of mine and I were talking about this recent glut of films about this sort of messy woman, uh, mm. and and she was like, what, where's the representation for women who have their shit together?" <laughs> that sort of feels like, the, you know, yeah. there are a lot of, a lot of women who do, and that's yeah. Well, that no, but I think that to it's that. like, I, but I think it's like the
1: I don't know if it escapes any of the uh, the messiness that can exist uh, naturally too. Yeah. And I feel like different women can deal with it differently, and I think there's room right. for every kind. I think there is room for uh, women who have. Uh, a messy personal life, who have, or and or a messy professional life, and we can have ones who have both of those things neat and one of those things neat, and I think that's just true about every every person's too. You know, every just every woman.
3: You know, uh, I'm interested in this idea that whilst she is a character who is um, steady in a certain way, there is also that natural thing of of the, the kind of divided self of immigrant culture and the sense of. Um, there's always a slightly different version of oneself left behind, um, or trying to reconcile these various elements in your life from the past and from your present. And that, to me, seems as much of a theme of the film as the actual romance in the film.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that it really is about... It's also connected to what we're just talking about with finding Greta as Nora, which is that, uh, you know, the thing about uh, Greta is that, like, of course, she's an amazing professional put-together. She's a mother of two. There's something that is, like, so very adult when you're just speaking to her. And then, of course, when she makes a joke and then she laughs because something made her you know, made her laugh, she suddenly looks like a kid. She suddenly looks like a very, very, very young. And I think that kind of duality is a part of all of our lives. I feel like there is, of course, we are, you know, you and I are talking in this professional context, you know, and we are uh, talking about a movie. It's so professional and official and adult. But I know that both of us have in us that there is a a 12-year-old that is like running around, you know? (laughs) And I think that there is something so amazing about um, acknowledging that kid that is in all of us, but also accepting the person that we are now, and really allowing both parts and also all things, every moment. Because I mean, of course, there is also so many people that existed in between. There's a kid who existed who, in college for me, or who's a kid who existed in uh, my, you know, like my mid twenties. You know, I think that there is a kind of an amazing thing where every it's not just even the duality of a kid and the adult, it's also the kid, uh, the, the multitudinousness of uh, every single moment that we have ever lived. And of course, and I think that's really what past lives is about, you know? It is about the, it's not just, you know, it's not just one. It is uh, every moment that we are
3: leaving a past life uh, behind and moving on to the next one, yeah. And this idea of, I guess, the choices that we might have made in those various iterations of the self, which is so, so beautifully sort of manifested in the film with this with this romance almost romance not quite romance
1: yeah well I think that it is meant to play with the form of romance and it's I think that it is a romantic movie in that in but in a way like a storm and drang you know what I mean in a way that time and space will push human beings and I think that really is what the romance is and of course it's a movie about love you know maybe it's not the most traditional romance because it's not about choosing which guy Yeah. but it is about love it is about the way that we have such a capacity and then we can mean a lot to each other and I think that to me is uh, unbelievably romantic so to me in that way it is absolutely a romance too you know
3: it's really nice to see a film in which the husband, as well, and he even acknowledges it when he says, I could be the, you know, yeah. the evil, I can't remember, the villain of a story or whatever. Yeah. But it's really nice to see someone that's so, you know, incredibly understanding, um, mm-hmm. almost stretching the realm of like what you would imagine any straight man's patience to be <laughs> in that context. But it's like, it's a great, it's wonderful to see on the screen that's yeah. allowing, again, for that multiplicity of she can have this affection and this connection yeah. and doesn't. Maybe it does threaten him a little bit, but it's he, it can be contained. Of course. He can, under, he can understand and empathize with that. I think that's, yeah. that's a well, wonderful, open way to see the world.
1: Exactly. Well, I think that we still, um, you know, the movie still is about uh, extraordinary things that ordinary people do. And I think that that kind of empathy and that kind of care and love is... Uh, I think it is as aspirational as having a superpower, right? And I think that it is also something that I think that we can ask of each other. And I think that it's something that, um, you know, like I think is so interesting to me because uh, so many people feel entitled to uh, power and money and things that, um, or a sense of something that people feel very comfortable feeling entitled to those things. But the thing that people, I think I found often not feeling entitled to is love from their loved ones you know <laughs> from the people that we are engaging in intimate relationship with and I think that to me it is absolutely a part of it and it's like not something that um is too much to ask it is actually in just enough to ask that we see each other and that we understand each other and we keep making an effort to get to know one another because that's what we're all trying to do when we're in love you know
3: I'm interested to know, um, you know, there's this, there's this real sweetness to the, the relationship between these two characters, uh, and there's this kind of like the, the, almost the hangover from the fact that they were children together and there's children in them. It's very pure. There's nothing ever kind of sexual or even remotely sexual in that, um, that tension between them. So I was interested in um, why was that a factor that you wanted to sort of keep at bay in a way?
1: Well, I think that that's the more the primary conversations that I'm having, right? Because of course, um, the actors are going to be asking and pushing for because they know that the movie is a romance, or like they know that it's like a it's there's a moment where the character is sad to watch the characters, where sometimes it's really funny. And I think that a part of it is like that's part of the work that I'm doing with them, which is that like to be like, no, actually, this character is just living their life. Right? They are not actually. They don't think that they're in a romance. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're living their lives. And I think that, that fighting that every moment is really what's gonna put the a movie together. You know, like their chemistry ha- should be different. It's not such a thing where it's like, ooh, it's just so much chemistry, they just wanna sleep together. It's not that kind of chemistry. It's a chemistry of knowing each other and having known each other as children, right? And then it's the chemistry of history. Meanwhile, of course, the chemistry between Nora and Arthur, her husband, that's a married people chemistry, right? That's the kind of partnership. Of course, it starts with the first kiss, but of course, over time, it, the chemistry so becomes so much more about how connected they are and how much they, how well they communicate, and that's a very different kind of chemistry than uh, longing or erotic chemistry, for example. And what. Nora and Arthur realize in the movie, of course, is that uh, even within a marriage, even within partnership like that, there can be plenty of longing and there can be plenty of uh, eroticism because even the most intimate relationship, and especially the most intimate relationships, they're only a way that you're going to feel more like the other person is an other. Because I feel like closer we get, more we see how the other person is an other. And I think that's true of every marriage, not even a marriage where one of them has a different native language. I think we know that the uh, more you get to know someone, more deeply you become entrenched in their world. more you realize, actually, this person has different subjectivity. This person has a different history, different life, different part of their lives that I don't have access to. And I think that, to me, is what's so uh, powerful about... Nora and Arthur's marriage in the film and there's plenty of longing there and of course there's a completely different kind of longing between Nora and Hesong, which is the longing of a life that they haven't lived right? and I think the, those chemistry should be different it's not just a flat thing of like oh man these people want to sleep together it's actually so much more about uh, the part of themselves that they're missing as well part of themselves that they and then part of each other that they really miss and they long for You know, and they will also, they're making an effort to get to know, right? Like when Arthur sees Haesung for the first time, Arthur says hello in Korean. And Haesung says hello to Arthur in English. And to me, I'm like, it's you're seeing these two men that are trying to uh, know each other better and they're speak, trying to speak each other's language even though neither of them are very good at the other person's language. And what, it's so heartbreaking, but it's also what love is. That's what care is. And I think that to me is was really important for me to depict in the movie.
3: Can you tell me a little bit about the reception to the film uh, since Sundance and maybe what surprised or struck you most about either critical or audience responses to it?
1: Well, I think that it has been so uh, wonderful and so positive and you know, everything is just like everything that one dreams of for every one of their movies right and I think uh, it is so amazing that it is happening for my very first movie so I have nothing but you know excitement and joy and like woo like that's really the <laughs> primary feeling for all of it and I think that um, the part of it that is surprising is like it's, it's all surprising because I think that you sort of make this movie uh, in a way that feels like you have your own integrity around and you make something that you feel connected to uh, yourself and everybody who worked on the movie feel connected to it themselves. And it's a bit of a secret we have, you know, that we share, me and everybody who worked on the movie, this movie, and you you, and you, uh, hold on to that secret. And of course, when we uh, showed it to that audience at Sundance uh, in Utah, um, which was the first audience, uh, there was something amazing where... Um, it is both uh, letting go of something which is the idea that this is a secret you have but of course then you get to uh, let the movie walk and meet the audience on its own and I think that to me has been so amazing and then of course like you hope that uh, the movie is uh, met with open hearts and kindness and and the and the willingness to come along and then when you see that it's only joy you're so you're just so happy that that's
3: happening more than anything well, congratulations on the film. It is really beautiful, and thank I do you. think everyone everyone d- has responded in that way to it, which yeah. is really nice. I'm
1: so happy. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much for your time. Thank that you. Was, that
3: me.
0: was so great. Brilliant interview there by Christina Newland. Thank you so much. Thank you, Celine Song, for joining us uh, for the episode of the podcast, and thank you, Layla and David, for your thoughts on the movie. The film is in cinemas right now. Uh, it's going down a real storm. I love this film. I think it's fantastic. I, I was blown away. I particularly love the soundtrack, uh, which is by two of the band members from Grizzly Bear, a really great indie band. If you've not heard them, and uh, they've got a song over the end credits by Sharon Van Etten, who's uh, an amazing, such an amazing singer, and wrote an original song for this film, which really adds to uh, just how special the movie is. But yes, totally agree with what Layla and David were saying. I think this film is is fantastic. One of my favourites of the year so far. Moving on to a film coming out later in September. We've got Craig Gillespie's Dumb Money. The film has just had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, which is why this podcast is slightly late. We, we weren't allowed to release our review until we uh, until the film had its world premiere. Totally understands that. You don't want to ruin it for the people at the prem. Uh, any spoilers? Although the film is based on re- true life events, so maybe maybe less prone to spoilers than other types of movies. I had such a good time watching this it is from the director of Itonia from Lars and a Real Girl, uh, more recently Cruella, um, for Disney starring Emma Stone. It's, uh, Craig is, is a really versatile director, and it's always exciting to see what he's picked to do next. And the story that is told throughout Dumb Money is fascinating. Uh, quite a recent real-life story, but I definitely didn't know all the detail about it, and uh, and the film does a really good job of, of explaining that in quite a comic Uh, way at times Uh, it's also quite a serious film at times but uh but yeah here we go david and Layla talking about dumb money which is in cinemas at the end of september
3: how much did we make today five million how much did we lose today
2: a billion you got rich dudes
3: pissing in their pants right now
1: holy fucking shit
0: I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it.
1: Holy fucking shit! Is the craziest I think I've ever seen. Everything
2: okay? Eleven fucking million dollars. What are you gonna do? Get a Ferrari? What the
3: fuck? Oh, language. The baby's here.
2: Well, dumb money. Um, it's. I think it's pretty. Hu- I'm. I'm. I'm going to struggle to give a plot synopsis to this one because it's quite. It's quite in-depth uh, stock trading talk. But I'll try and be very, very, very pithy about it. It is set around the 2020, 2020, 2021 GameStop short squeeze in which a Reddit thread of uh, retail investors who are referred to as dumb money, which means they are like small, small fry, little pocket change investors who uh, who are considered by the big Wall Street fat cats as dumb. They kind of happen upon this sort of moment of collective action where they decide to rally around some some stocks uh, which have been hyped by a guy who goes by the name of Roaring Kitty, a.k.a. Keith Gill, who is played by Paul Dano. And it's a kind of like David, David and Goliath story in many ways.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I've listened to a couple of podcasts explaining the phenomenon to me and it really is the wildest story. I think we will have like the kind of vague recollection of, like, I remember the time that like Reddit took on wall street for a bit. I'm not really remembering what happened and what happened was utterly bizarre and kind of continues to be pretty bizarre. That community still exists on Reddit. You can go and check them out. They are a wild wow, yeah. group of people, but yeah, and this was quite fun. I mean, I, it's, It's interesting the way that they, because those Reddit communities are so nightmarish and chauvinistic and obnoxious a lot of the time. And it kind of captures that in like a really fun way of the hip hop. Like a lot of the things where like Wall Street guys like Seth Rogen and Nick Offerman are being taken, you know, taken down by, you know, little Paul Dano in his basement. It's kind of done with all this like really fun hip hop that kind of suggests they're like, he's kind of. (laughs) (laughs)
2: no yeah absolutely and i think i th- i think what the film deals with i mean it's done by um craig gillespie who 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 is kind of he did i tonya and he did recently did pam mm. and tommy tv series and he's kind of he's now mr kind of he's 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 the sort of tabloid go-to guy now for, for sort of ta- you know tabloid stories and this is in many ways this is kind of this is one of those as well um but I think what the f- the film is less about that phenomenon. Uh, it doesn't really go too deeply in, into into what that what 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 it means beyond some some quite fl- like flashy montages. But I think the thing the thing that really kind of the meat of the story is about the Wall Street's reaction to what was happening mm. and this idea that when when the chips don't fall your way, and you're a big Wall Street multi billion dollar banker dude. You you can basically just change the playing fields. You you know you you, you it it's dirty tactics all the way. You know it's it, you know that's the stuff that really kind of uh, sets sets your hair on end.
4: Yeah, I mean some of the supporting um, roles like a Sebastian Stan as this kind of super sleazy billionaire, and you know there were some really obnoxious types that are just r- just really fun to hate. Uh, I would say but also it's like a really good amount of suspense that he brings to it because the whole thing becomes like their stocks are going up and up and up and but they're kind of like a cult and nobody wants to sell because that would be a betrayal but it's like you're almost like screaming at the screen being like no just just sell and you can get out of all of your student debt so you can buy your mama house
2: (laughs) it's true the the whole thing is that they the meet the meme that they have is called is 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 the word hold misspelled h-o-d-l Which is which which is very very kind of memey thing to do. But but yeah. you know, that that there is this idea that but the, the 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 collective action spawns from this Reddit channel and everyone is on side with this guy and everyone's just following uh, Roaring Kitty. And he even he is some like the the, the thing that makes him such a, a, a kind of interesting character as someone who people can can, can rally around is because he is he's disarmingly honest. And he, mm. his whole thing is that he, when he does his like YouTube videos where he talks about his his sort of portfolio and he gives sort of daily updates on his, on his kind of abiding love of GameStop stock. He he ha- he prints his balance sheet on the screen every day, so everyone can see exactly what money he has, what it's making, where it's making it. So there's no there's no secrecy. It's completely open source. It's, it's that he is the kind of anti Wall Street.
4: Yeah. It's so strange to think that there is like this second life that I've read about that goes on past the movie. I mean, that's the great thing about it is that like you watch the film and then it's like 40 minutes of research online just to find out exactly what happened. But they're still out there, this group of people. They still believe in GameStop. And if the, what they happen to predict comes true, apparently now each person would be the richest person who had ever lived in history. Oh, dream. wow. <laughs> so it's uh yeah, it's a there's a there's a sequel out there. Wow!
0: Well, here we are. We're on the home straight, folks. We are on our final film of the month. We are talking about Christian Mingu's R.M.N., which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2022. It is finally coming out in UK cinemas uh, this month, at the end of September, and oh boy it is a film unlike anything i've seen for quite a while quite a bold piece of filmmaking and uh, and yeah quite a, i guess i mean an absolutely fine film to talk about but one of the more uh, challenging films i am sure because there's a lot to there's a lot to cover in it in a few minutes um, but i am sure david and layla will handle that with gusto over to layla and david to talk about christian mingus r m n
3: Look, you're home. Oh, nice.
1: So.
4: Yeah, RMN. I mean, this was one where I was kind of expecting to come out pretty harrowed. I mean, it's Christian uh, Mungu, who is not somebody that makes very easy films. I would absolutely adore his film four months, three weeks and two days. Um, I think he kind of delivered again. This was a, This is a pretty impressive and harrowing portrait of a town, which is kind of made up by all of these different, quite recent immigrants in Romania. But then when there's another group of people that maybe might come and work in the local bread factory, some mm. Sri Lankan women, they react to these immigrants with just such ferocity. And yeah, it's, I don't know, David, were you pretty upset by it? I, well, I mean, it took me a while to shake yeah, it off. I
2: mean, it's a very kind of dealing with like massive current geopolitical ideas of, you know, how, uh, I guess, parochial small towners deal with these big shifts in the world that are happening today and it's very kind of yeah it's very objective and there's there are no real like there's no real heroes and villains in this film like everyone is everyone has some element of being morally tainted in some way like on one side you have the this the 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 the, uh, the HR woman who is um who is facilitating this and trying to sort of explain her reasoning behind doing it and she's very kind of She's very calm, and 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 she, you know, she she's uh, she's like uh, educated, and she knows that, like, you know, she's she, she's trying to find a, an angle to sell to sell in her idea, but it's is struggling. Whereas on on the other side, you have the town townsfolk who are you know unemployed, destitute, you know, in in, in deep poverty, who need these these jobs, but but you know aren't getting them um and there is the the whole like well if we if we paid you we wouldn't be able to run as a as a factory so like you know deal with mm. it and then the the guy that we follow is the kind of the one who's he's the sort of go-between he's the intermediary who is stuck between the two
4: yeah and then we've got that kind of uh, subtle kind of subplot about the relationship he has with his son and this idea that kind of it doesn't really go into it too much but like there's stuff that he had in a kind of rougher childhood that he's maybe inadvertently passing on. But yeah, it doesn't make massive judgments about it. It's quite matter of fact. And it also kind of bring quite subtly brings in factors around, you know, class as well. Like, you know, these people aren't just a monolith. Um, but yeah, it's I don't want to get into spoilers. To me, there was a little bit more ambiguity towards the end than perhaps I wanted, but... That's probably uh, you know on on me wanting something from a master filmmaker, and I should be accepting what he's giving me. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, as you, uh, without going into what actually happens, it does have a very kind of you know you you had to be there ending kind of you know where where I mean if you know we ca- we we're, we're, we're having this conversation now, and if we would do if we were doing spoilers, I think we would definitely be mainly focusing on that ending and what it what it means. Um, it's it's a very kind of bold gambit, and it's something that is kind of that the seeds are, seeds are sort of sown throughout the film very subtly, and then it's sort of this thing comes to fruition. But yeah, it's uh it's it's really intriguing, and I think I think the the title refers to kind of m. I think it's like MRI. I mean, we we like a you know kind of an MRI <laughs> scan or an X. I think it's referring to like it's the sort of Romanian version of like X-ray, and I think what what that is referring to is the film as a kind of x-ray of society we look you know it's looking under the skin at the at the internal organs and and the bones and everything inside and seeing what's happening And, and 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 it's trying to almost give a bit of a diagnosis for for europe at the moment as it is
4: yeah. I, I also just couldn't help watch it as kind of the, a Christmas movie and like an anti-Christmas movie because it is set at Christmas. And like, you know, your typical kind of Netflix schmaltzy Christmas movie is all about people learning to come together and like enjoy the power of Christmas and accept that we're all not so different after all. So that Christmassy element to it just added like a sort of a dark little a bit of flavour that I actually very much enjoy. Maybe this is what I'll watch at Christmas and, you know, feel sad about the world.
0: Well, there we go. Those are our four films uh, which we've picked to cover on the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to those. Those are all in cinemas right now. Would highly recommend seeking them out in an order... Just because it's been out the longest, I would do Passages and in past Lives. Those are in cinemas right now. And then Get Ready for Dumb Money on the 22nd of September and then RMN on the 29th of September. Two films coming out later in the month. What we like to do on the podcast, as is tradition, uh, we always like to ask our guest critics what's in cinemas right now that they'd recommend. Something which we haven't already reviewed on the show. And what's coming out in cinemas later in the year that they are looking forward to. I don't know what they're going to say for this bit, so I'm just as excited as you are to hear it's one of my favourite bits of the podcast. Over to David and Layla to share their thoughts
2: on cinema present and cinema future. So, Layla, what do you think people should go and see that's still in the cinemas?
4: I really want people to go and see The Blackening, which is actually done incredibly well in the States, but it's just this tiny little indie movie, surprisingly directed by Tim Story, who's like a billionaire blockbuster movie guide normally um and it's a tiny little comedy um horror comedy set in the woods and it's a group of black characters on Juneteenth and just a really funny look at kind of what happens if you did a typical cabin in the woods but you bought in all of the kind of burden of being black in America and the skills that like they're really good at climbing trees because they've been running from the police a lot their whole lives, and of course I've got a gun and <laughs> the hyper vigilance that they have, and like that they make very different decisions than their white counterparts, and I thought it was really really funny and fun.
2: Well, I would recommend a film called A Fire by Christian Petzold, who's one of who who is uh, again one of my one of my fave fave guys. It's this vet. Uh, he he doesn't tend to do kind of overt comedy films but this one's definitely if not a comedy it's definitely very funny and it is about kind of uh, a sort of puffy chested writer who is off on this re- sort of beach retreat in germany and he's he's trying to sort of do the sort of polishing on his second novel which is called club sandwich and actually when anyone says club sandwich um in the film. It is it is a real, it's very, very funny. It should be a club sandwich drinking game. And it's kind of uh there, there's a there's a sort of there's a woman there as well and there's his friend and there's a lifeguard and it's this kind of in the interactions mainly going around this very quite arrogant and uh and slightly pompous writer and the, the various kind of micro ways that he gets his kind of comeuppance. And yeah, it's just really funny, charming and, and, and you know, it, but, but deep as well. It's not it's not just a kind of like throwaway comedy. It's deep.
4: Well, good lessons from both. Never go into a cabin with your Indeed. friends. David, I think I'm very excited that we may have a mini Barbenheimer happening again, because I just found out um, that uh, Boxing Day, we're going to be getting Ferrari and Priscilla. And the same time, and it does feel like a bit like that Barbenheimer thing. It's going to be the exciting double bill where you sort of see the two genders. <laughs> <laughs> the specs.
2: Wow! Yeah, they, I mean, there can never be another Barbenheimer. I don't, you know, let's 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 get make it make it known now to the marketeers that let's never that that can never be repeated. So, come up with your own name, Frasilla, Frasilla,
4: no. Uh, Ferrari. Ferrari.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pararenheimer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, those, 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 those are, those definitely are kind of biggies and you, I guess, but you've being in Venice, you've both seen both of those so you can give them the the hype.
4: And like with Barbenheimer, I will be going to see them a second time, but yeah, no, I think that's going to be, those are, those are two excellent films that I think lots of people are going to want to go out and see and I will be joining them.
2: Another film that I'm really excited about is called um, Typist Artist Pirate King by Carol Morley. And it is a kind of comedy biopic, sort of existential drama artist portrait about uh, an, uh, an artist that Morley pretty much just, you know, with the help of the Welcome Collection sort of discovered and unearthed called Audria Miss and played amazingly well by Monica Dolan. And it's it's really really funny, charming film, and it's almost a bit. Uh, 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 Kelly Macdonald plays her her therapist, and they go on this road trip from London to Newcastle, or sorry to Sunderland, for an exhibition of her work. The artist is called Audrey Amis, and um, and yeah, it's a bit. It's basically a kind of with Nell and I, but looking at, but uh, as they go, it's kind of giving you this this sort of survey of England, as it as it stands, and you know the. The cultural rifts and the and it's all about arts funding and and mental health provision and it's yeah it's really good
4: that is ticking a lot of my interest <laughs> absolutely amazing is that out soon
2: i think it's early november i believe it's okay. so a bit of a wait right marking that one in the diary though
4: Oh Well, thanks very much for everyone to listening to our convo. I mean, you can hear us talking. Um, I host the Little White Lies podcast, uh, Truth Movies, and Movies. Uh, David is obviously editor of Little White Lies. And there's something very exciting happening in a couple of weeks, David, isn't there?
2: Indeed, yeah. Well, I hope by the time you listen to this, you'll be uh, have your money ready to buy our 100th issue, which we've been working really, really hard on. It's out on the 14th of September. And... It's a really exciting kind of look back at uh, at the movies that that have made us, and and I look forward to, to to the movies that are, uh, and not not just the movies, but but where where cinema is headed in the future. And you know, I think I I hope people will find the issue to be kind of intriguing, moving, funny. Uh, you know, a bit like a movie. It's a, a an issue that we've done in three acts and and with four covers, so lots to lots to be excited about hopefully
4: God, even with my kind of inside track of hosting the podcast i am i have very little information i want to keep everything that this, this has is a bit of a surprise so i'm going to be as excited about as anyone to go and pick up my so i got to get four copies is well, that right well, no, or you, do i get a freebie for hosting the you podcast get freebies <laughs> <laughs> oh okay good good, good.
0: Well, thank you so much to Layla Latif and to David Jenkins uh, for joining us on this edition of the podcast. Thank you also to Celine Song, writer and director of Past Lives, and Christina Newland, wonderful film critic, who, who've all joined us. All contributed to this episode. We couldn't literally couldn't have made the show without you. We also literally couldn't have made the show without Kobe at Stripped Media or our fantastic editor Laura. Thank you so much, Laura, for for doing this for us and um, this show because we record at different times in different locations, and then we have lots of. Contributors like five different voices. Uh, Editing is always the sort of the unsung uh, part of the uh, workload for the podcast. But I just want to shout out Laura, who's been doing such a great job with us. That's it. That's it for September, folks. But don't worry, we'll be back in October for another edition of the podcast with two new guest critics. In the meantime, we will have a few special episodes of the podcast. Do subscribe to our feed on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, That's where we drop our bonus episodes with uh, any writers, directors, actors etc 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 who may be in town there are fewer of them at the moment because of the ongoing uh, writer and actor strike in america but uh, but we've got uh, we've got a couple of directors coming up um who are able to talk about their work in fact craig gillespie the director of dub money is due on the podcast next so subscribe to the feed please look out for that i think that's it I think that's a wrap on September. Whatever you end up watching at the cinema, please have a wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, and if, you, if you're if you one of those people who listens to lots of podcasts, you've probably heard podcasts mention this before, but if you are on a service such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, do give us a follow, do give us a star rating. It really helps support the show. It helps others see the show. and uh, And we'd be very, very grateful. Any reviews as well, any written reviews, even if it's a couple of words, they always go down an absolute treat. Thank you very much for staying to the very end and we'll see you next month. Goodbye.